Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So last week we kicked off a brand new series called Find My Friends, Being Known in a Lonely World. And if you missed last week, I I can't encourage you to go back and check it out, but let me just kind of give you a quick review, recap to get us all on the same page. And here's the idea that in order for you and I to thrive in life and to thrive in faith, um, we need community. We need to be connected to other people. And it's an interesting thing that we talk to our um, kids about friends and we talk to our students, you know, about friends. But for whatever reason, talking about friends and community in the adult context just feels a little bit unnatural that for whatever reason, right, there seems to be natural seasons of life where it's like, yep, I'm I'm making new friends and, and I'm connecting with people. And then as we get older and get on in life, for whatever reason, seasons change, work, family, for whatever reason, and it just feels a little less natural for us to talk about adult friendships. But what we kind of landed last week is that isolation, isolation is unnatural at best. And you felt this, I felt this. And at the very worst, it's detrimental to you and to me that neuroscience tells us, right? It's like our bodies are hardwired to tell us that loneliness and isolation are not good for us. Um, neuroscience shows us the same neuropathways, we talked about this last week, that light up when we feel pain are the same ones that light up when we experience loneliness. Um, that loneliness increases your chances of dying early by 45%. Didn't make that stat up, right? We talked about that last week. That's higher than obesity, excessive drinking, and air pollution. And so our bodies are literally hardwired to tell us, hey, this is not okay, And what foundation we kind of set last week, and again, whether you're a faith, a person of faith or not, you felt this and you know this. And what foundation we set last week was that there is a God that created us with a need to be connected to other people. And one of the things that I think we kind of miss when we talk about friendships, and, and this was very helpful for me. I, I read a book called Find Your People, a book by Jenny Allen, and she kind of helped me think through this a little bit. When we think about like the, the different people we have in our lives, right, we can kind of group them, and, and, and you certainly can understand this, right? We've kind of got these through, three kind of oversimplification, but, but three kind of big groups. You've got like the acquaintances, okay? Um, you've got a village, and then you've got your close friends, right? So your acquaintances, that's the biggest group of people. Like you're sending your Christmas card to all your acquaintances. If you have a kid that graduates high school, acquaintances, all of them are getting the graduation announcement because it might be more money. So everybody, every, like it's a, a much broader group of people. But then, you, but then you got your village, it's a small group of people. And then you've got your close friends. Science tells us, I don't know, you can have two to, two to five, maybe six close friends. So when we talk about finding our friends and cultivating community, here's, for me, what we tend to think is we got our acquaintances, we got to figure out how to make close friends. But here's what I'm most interested for you. Here's what I'm most interested for me. And here is a helpful context to think about when you think about cultivating the kind of community we're created for. We tend to skip over this village piece of life. Because yes, we've all got a lot of acquaintances and I'm sure you know, you've got a couple of close friends, maybe one, but here's what I know about my close friends. Some of my close friends don't even live here. Some of my close friends um, live in different states. Some of my close friends I'm not seeing week in and week out. But for you and for me, do we have a village? 
a, a group of interconnected people that we are doing life with week in and week out. They might know each other. They might not. They come from different avenues. There might be, some might be like from a small group at church, and part of your, some of your neighbors, people that you work with, people that you've gotten to know because of your kids' activities. I want us to have a conversation about what it looks like to cultivate a village of people that we are walking with week in and week out. In fact, I wanted to call this series, It Takes a Village. But then all y'all would have thought it was about parenting. And I've got three kids all under four. I know nothing about parenting, right? Because you've heard it said, right? It takes a village to raise a child. That is certainly true. It's so true, it makes me want to bang my head through the drywall. Like, this is true, okay? But it also takes a village to thrive in life. It takes a village for us to thrive in life. It takes a village to grow our faith. It takes a village just to make it through. So here's my hope for you. And, and we set the foundation, but here, here's where I wanna spend the next couple of weeks. I want you to be great cultivators of this village. No matter your season of life, no matter how old you are, I want us to be great cultivators of the village that we need in order to thrive in life and in faith. But here's what's true for some of us, is we tend to just wait for that village to find us rather than be the ones to cultivate the village that we need around us. So here's what I wanna do for our next few minutes. I wanna look at some barriers that get in the way of us cultivating the village we were created for. I wanna show you a picture of what could be in your life and in our community at large if we cultivated this kind of village that we were, that we were created to cultivate and live in. And then I wanna give you some really, really practical steps on how to do it. I promised you last week we were gonna get into the nitty gritty how to, and so we're gonna do that today. But there are plenty of barriers. There are plenty of barriers that get in the way of us cultivating this village, cultivating the kind of community that we can walk through life with week in, week out, day in, day out. And here um, are four that I believe are so prevalent. You're going to totally get these. You're going to feel these. And I hope they convict you a little bit. Not too much though. Um, Just enough to make you do something. Okay. Just kidding. The first one, technology, right? Technology disrupts us. Technology disrupts our human connection. And let me just show you, and you get this, but just on a, on a very high level, right? Um, anyone, any Instacart or Uber Eats fans in the house? Okay, a few of you. Okay, we started using Instacart um, during COVID and we just forgot to stop. And so... Um, Instacart's amazing. Uber Eats is amazing. Okay. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, and I'm also certainly not anti-technology, but, but can I just show you how this disrupts human connection? Because of Instacart and Uber Eats, I now have a um, less of a space and less of a need to have actual interaction with human beings at a grocery store or at a restaurant. Now, am I going to become best friends with the server, you know, at whatever restaurant I go to? Probably, probably not. Am I going to be best friends with the cashier at Publix? Probably not. But instead now, when in being forced to interact in a healthy way with humanity, I just sit on my couch while Netflix is going, wait for them to drop it off, leave my front porch, and then get in their car and leave, and then I go get my groceries, Right? There's a human connection piece that is now just suddenly missing. Is that a problem in and of itself? No. But again, here's what I'm, my point. It's becoming a symptom of our culture. And then you take it even further. Now let's get more personal, right? iPhones, social media, and streaming services, what all these things are doing in and of themselves are not bad, but here, here's what they're doing. They are disrupting our connection with others because they are quite literally st- 
stealing our attention and more importantly, our presence from other people. The average American touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Teenagers, 5,000 times a day. I just got a big old yeah from this 18-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Sorry, guilty. A hundred times since you started. Keep preaching, though. Yeah. But again, and, and I'm guilty as well, right? It steals our attention with Netflix. Not saying it's a problem. However, it, will, it certainly can be, right? Because what are we more likely to do? When you have a free night, then maybe this is just me. Ah, baby, let's not, let's not, let's just, we just need a night in. We've been so busy. Let's just, let's just, let's just stay. I'm more likely to stay in. And then don't, don't play the whole, oh, well, I'm, I'm connecting with my spouse, with my friends. No, here's another problem. We tend to do so much side by side with our significant others. We're missing face to face. Why? Because our screens are, they're stealing our attention and our, and our presence and social media, again, helps us stay connected. We're more connected than ever before, but lonelier than ever before. Why? Because technology is even changing the way we're connecting to others. Not in the best way. Social media creates a false sense of intimacy where, and come on, again, I'm speaking to myself here. We send more um, videos of other people's lives than actually sharing our real life with people. It's just so easy. It's just so Natural, but that's what technology is doing. It's disrupting our connection with others. Here's another one. Busyness. Busyness distracts us from one another. Come on, you know this. You know this. Schedules crowd out community. They crowd out friendships. Y'all have been there. We're literally just going through this last week. How many times you try to plan something, double date, or get all the friends to go out to dinner, get the band back together again? It's like, okay, let's find a date. Cool, yeah, uh, oh, oh, perfect. Looks like I'm free March of 2024. You know? Just so, and I get it, I get it. You got kids and we got activities and you got work and you got this. But, but here's the truth. There has to be, like something's got to give. Because for us, we are always so busy and always going, going, going. Not only do our schedules just crowd out space for people, but here's what starts to happen. That's external. Internally, and this is a conversation for another day. This is huge. The busier we become on, uh, like externally, watch this, we suddenly start to live in a hurry. Busyness is external. Hurry is internal. When I'm always going, going, going on the outside, suddenly on the inside, I'm always in a hurry. And suddenly, not even, not only is my calendar full, I no longer, because I'm in a hurry, have any mental margin to even think about people. Mental margin to slow down for people. Mental margin to slow down for people that might need me. Mental margin to slow down and think about the community I haven't connected with in quite some time. Life is full of so much doing. And here's the unfortunate reality for this. Come on, you felt this. Life is full of so much doing. But investing in community and friendships that you need unfortunately falls into the do category. It was always meant to be in the be category. A chance for us to just be, a chance to be long, a chance to be encouraged, a chance to be present, and a chance to be available for and to each other. It's why whenever you finally do get in those moments where you had a great meal or a great dinner or a great small group or you connected with some people that you've missed for quite some time or you got on and played a round of golf or you did whatever with some friends and you connected it was so life-giving. It didn't feel like doing. You just felt like you got to be. But busyness distracts us. Here's, here's a big one. 
individualization discourages us. And this, this is a symptom of the Western culture that we live in, right? We, we live in a country, and I'm so grateful for this. We live in a country that fought for its independence, defended our independence, and I'm so grateful for the men and service women that fought for our freedom and our independence, and, and we are the land of the free, and we, um, we have individual rights, and I'm so grateful that that is true of our country and all of us together. However, here's the unfortunate reality. What is true of our country as a whole has become just true of our personal identities. And suddenly, suddenly, um, we don't need anybody. I can be my own person. Like, you get bonus points in our Western culture when you're a self-made woman or a self-made man. Why, why should you get bonus points for that? But we live in a culture that's, hey, what's mine is mine. And if you want it, well, then you've got to earn it. Like, we live in a culture that says, don't ask for help because that will make you look weak. And if I could just be honest, and you may be experiencing this, maybe I, I certainly have, um, most other cultures around ours don't live that way. I come from a Middle Eastern culture. My parents were born in Israel. Um, uh, in fact, if you just, our, our, our Latin American friends or even South American friends, most of the other cultures of the world don't live with that mentality. There is a communal way to living where what's mine is ours. It's not weak to ask for help. It's expected. No, no, no. You can't do this alone. There's no pride in being self-made because there's no such thing as being self-made. But individualization discourages us because I don't want anyone to see a kink in the armor, so no, 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 I can do this by myself. And then lastly, and we're gonna dig more into this one next week, but fear distances us. Because watch this, and I don't wanna give away too much because I want you to come back next week. Um, <clears throat> it's safer to stay isolated for all of us, and especially, I'm gonna to speak to the guys in the room too, I mean, for all of us, but this is especially true for us guys. It's a lot safer to not let anybody see behind the curtain. I'm gonna keep you close enough so you see what I want you to see, not what's really going on. In fact, the paradox of needing connection, yet fearing being fully known is something we all have experienced. And the whole I don't want people all up in my business is really just you and I saying, I'm afraid to give people access to my business. So fear distances us. And here's what we're left with if we let these barriers get in the way of cultivating the community that we need and were created for. We're left with surface level relationships, unsatisfying friendships, a false sense of intimacy with a lot of people that we're connected to online, a self-imposed isolation that's a product of the individualistic ideology that's just so prevalent in our culture. No margin in our schedule to connect with people that we need to connect with and instead we just keep going, going, going and just grow to continue more and more depleted. And then for those of you that are Jesus followers in the room, we're left with a faith that will never mature in a community of Jesus followers that follows Jesus in half measures because faith was never meant to be done. Following Jesus was never meant to be done outside of the context of community. 
When you look at God throughout all of the scriptures, he always operates in the context of community. I mean, you can go back to the Old Testament. I mean, you've got family, you've got a nation, you've got community on community. It's always connected. You've got tribes. And then you get into the New Testament. And what did Jesus launch? He launched a church. But again, you guys know this. He did not launch a building. He launched a gathering and a movement of people. He launched a gathering and a movement of people that would live out his commands in the context of living together and following him locked arms into the world and showing the world what it looks like to need each other. In fact, Jesus, and and we're gonna see a picture of this. Jesus, um, in John chapter 13, He actually gives, right before he's to go to be crucified on the cross, he's giving his disciples um, some final marching orders. Okay, he's been with them for quite some time, and he's given them some final marching orders before he leaves. And and look at what he says in John chapter 13, okay? And you've seen this verse 4, John chapter 13. We're going to take it one verse back in verse 33. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little bit longer. Okay, they don't fully understand what's about to happen yet, but I'm about to go to the cross. I'm going to go to the grave, then I'm going to get resurrected. um, And you will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, and so I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. Like, trust me, right now, you don't want to jump into what I'm about to jump into, okay? Just wait and see, Peter. Just, just watch. And then, so, like, this is like urgency. Look, I, I need to tell you something really important. And then, and you've heard this before, but I want to give you kind of a, a new context for this. John chapter 13, verse 34. Then Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Hey, Peter, right here. Peter, you got me? Come here, buddy. You get distracted a lot. Listen, Peter. Yeah, I want you to love Andrew. Hey, hey, Andrew, hey, 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 look. I want you to love John. Hey, John, Jane, I want you to love, I want you to love him. I want you to love each other as I have loved you. This was a different kind of love because he was about to lay his life down. He's about to put himself second. He's about to serve the needs of the world. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says, and by this love that you have for one another, Everyone will know you are one of my followers. You are one of my disciples. They will know you walk in the way of Jesus. The distinguishing marker of the community that you have with one another will be the way that you love one another. So Jesus gives his earliest followers this command. Then Jesus, crucified, buried in the, in the tomb, resurrected on the third day, and then after the Gospels and after the resurrection of Jesus, he shows up to the, to the disciples on very different occasions. And then eventually, um, we get to the book of Acts, which Acts comes right after the Gospels. Acts was actually written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so he wrote an account of the life of Jesus, interviewed um, a bunch of eyewitnesses, and then he wrote Acts. Um, and Acts is basically the life of the early church right after the resurrection of Jesus. It's called Acts because it's Acts of the Apostles is kind of the idea. And so what we have in Acts, and that's where we learn about the Apostle Paul, is the, the journey and the growth of the early church. Before there was this, before there was a Bible, like before there was any of that, all they had were the commands of Jesus, and then he rose from the grave. 
He died for them and then he rose from the grave. He died for them and he rose from the grave. And so then in Acts chapter 2, we get a beautiful picture of the early church putting into practice Jesus' words in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Look at, watch this, I want you to pay attention to the communal aspect of the early church. Before there was a building, before there was any of that. Watch this, in Acts chapter 2, Luke documents the rest, verse 42. They, the disciples, the followers of Jesus who were following in the way of Jesus, they devoted themselves, they committed themselves, they made a priority to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now again, really quickly, the American church, we're really great at putting a period after teaching. Oh yeah, I'll devote myself to church on Sunday, but if I miss, don't worry, I'll listen to the podcast by myself in the car, right? But here we have something different with the, with the early church. No, 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 yeah, they were devoted to the apostles, but, but there was fellowship. Um, there was a real sense of connection. It's a very intimate word, shared activity, and shared living. The Christian life was a communal one. Following Jesus was a communal journey. They broke bread together. In other words, they had meals together. This is so interesting. Luke has documented that they had meals together. This was an important part. And their prayer wasn't just meant for private. It was also meant to come into the public space of their community. They actually prayed together and for each other. And he goes on. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs the, performed by the apostles. Okay, can't, can't do any of those, sorry. Um, but they, they performed all these signs and wonders. But then watch this, again, look at the thrust. Look at the, um, the emphasis of this passage. All the believers were together. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Then this, is, this sounds so crazy. In fact, when you, when you read this, you're like, okay, this, that's just silly, Samer. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. This indicates the depth of relationship and the mutual care they had for each other. I'm not saying you have to go sell your property to give to need, right? No, but this just gives you what they were willing to do. Not because it was like commanded communalism. No, no, no. This was voluntary caring, a caring response to meet the needs of the people that Jesus commanded them to love as he loved each other. And what did he give? He laid his life down. He gave everything. This was just what Jesus had called them to do. And in a first century Roman context that was all about might and strength and climbing the social ladder and being richer than somebody else, this was unlike anything the world had ever seen before. He goes on, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. It's like they had church every day. Again, gifted, we're not doing that. Don't worry, okay? Different context, but it was built into the rhythm every day. Every day, we're not being distracted. From, no, no, every day we're meeting in the temple courts and we're gonna go out to our, do our jobs and do our thing. Then they broke bread in their homes. They went from the corporate to the intimate, from the corporate, and their corporate was never this big, but they went from the corporate to we're gonna break, we're gonna have meals around a table in somebody's house. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and he goes on, praising God. And then, watch this, this is so cool. Watch this. Enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is, this is amazing. Here we have laid out for us a community living out what Jesus taught in John chapter 13. Love one another as I have loved you. 
Lay your life down for one another as I am about to do for you. And then those on the outside, remember what Jesus said? All will know you are my disciples by the way that you love. And then people on the outside started to notice. And Luke tells us they started to gain favor. The Christians, the followers of Jesus started to earn favor with those on the outside. Those on the outside were so curious and then eventually became appreciative of this new community. That word favor, a reputation, a good reputation. What earns you favor with other people? Like sure, the apostles teaching, I'm sure it was awesome. That would have challenged people. The apostles performing signs and wonders, awesome. That would have wowed people and maybe instilled some faith. What wins you favor with people? When what you're building is better for people. When the community you're building is better for the community around them. When the community you're building makes the city better, makes the community better. When the community you're building is like, hang on, I think I want to be a part of that. Life, for those in the church, life as a community, as giving and serving and meeting needs and being foreign with each other, having meals and sharing life with each other, raising kids with each other. Life as a community was a visible part of their testimony of who Jesus was. One of my seminary professors, um, Dr. Bach, he said this. He said, when the early church said that God cared, the care they gave their own demonstrated this. Now, this is not to mean the care never left their own. This was not an insulated, isolated Christian kind of club. No, no, the love that they showed, it certainly left and it went out into the world and they were commanded to love their neighbors. But come on, when you don't love your own and then love those on the outside, what does that feel like? Hypocrisy. When you don't love your own, what's compelling about being a part of that community? Absolutely nothing. In fact, I, I had a teacher, I'll never forget this. I was in seventh grade and, and I, I, was, I was in FCA and, and I forget how we started talking about faith. It wasn't like a weird, unhealthy, wisest teacher. We were just talking about, talking about faith, me and a couple of friends. And he said something. He said, you know, he said, one of the things that turned me off about faith, I, I, he said, um, I don't like how all the different denominations like go at each other. Again, what's compelling? If you take care of the outside, but... There's no care on the end. What's compelling? Absolutely nothing. But the early church cultivating this, imagine how attractive this would have looked in that first century context that was all about, no, 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 we gotta take care of ourselves. This Roman first century context, you gotta, you know, don't show a need, don't show vulnerability. No, no, suddenly those on the outside are looking in at this early church thinking, I wanna be a part of that. I need to be a part of that. I want my kids to be a part of that. I can't on my own and I've never told anybody, but those Christians, they, they're helping each other. They're loving each other. They're, they're gathering together with glad and sincere hearts. It looks like they're happier, healthier, more joy. The community cultivated by the early church was effective and attractive. It was effective. It was good. Remember, again, last week when God created Adam, he looked at Adam solo and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's like God had in mind Acts chapter two. Here's why it's not okay for man to be alone. Because alone isolation can't create the community we see in Acts chapter two. It was good and it was attractive 
It was compelling. It was evangelistic in nature. And Jesus was their model. The love of Jesus was at the center because the love of Jesus was driving how they related to one another. And just as foreign as that type of living and communal living was in the first century, if we're just being honest, come on, you felt this. In so many ways, it feels just as foreign in the world that we live in today. But foreign isn't a bad thing. No, 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 I think just it wasn't the early church, it would be compelling, it'd be beautiful, and it would be attractive for those on the outside of faith. What the early church did, they took Jesus' command, and this is what they decided was gonna be true of them. Watch this, they were available. They were available to each other. Hey, I'm here for you. They were available, not too busy for you. They were humble. In other words, um, I'm gonna put you before me. What's your need? I'm gonna help. I'm gonna put your needs before mine. They were vulnerable. I'm just gonna be honest about where I'm at. Yeah, I have a need. Yeah, this, this is where I'm at. Yeah, I'm really struggling. This is where I'm, okay, let me help. And then as a result, this community was transformative to the community at large. And daily, the Lord was adding to their number because the community was so compelling and they got to see the visible representation of the love of their savior and what this was the availability and the vulnerability and the humility created fertile soil for them to carry each other's burdens a new testament command to encourage each other daily a new testament command to meet the needs of those that needed a new testament command to cultivate a what's mine is yours to sharpen each other, to worship with each other, to pray for one another, to connect with each other, to create safety and intimacy with one another. And ultimately, they made the community better. In isolation, watch this, it would have back then and it does today. Isolation robs us of the beauty of this community. An early church father, Basil the Great, what a name, by the way. I don't know what you gotta do to get that name. Hey, I want you to meet my friend Basil the Great. Um, he, he wrote this, when we live our lives in isolation, what we have is unavailable and what we lack is unprocurable. What we have, what God has given us, what we have is unavailable to those that are in need, but then what we need and what we lack is not procurable. It is not producible. Why? Isolation shuts you off both ways. It keeps you from being None that can serve a need and show the love of Jesus. And then it shuts you off from others who are right there ready to show you the love of Jesus. Isolation robs us, not only of just the natural way in which we were created to live, but of reflecting and experiencing tangibly the very love of our Savior. And the command of Jesus, again, it's worth recalling, lived out in Acts chapter two, a new command I give you. Jesus is telling them this, and he's like, man, y'all have no idea. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus knew that it would be good. Jesus knew it would be effective. And he said, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. He also knew it would be attractive. Remember when I told y'all you were the light of the world? This is one of the ways you will shine. Cultivate the community. Cultivate the village, the interconnected people that you are doing 
life with. And as you cultivate it and show the love of Jesus in it, it will be good for you. It will be effective for you and your faith in each other. And it will be attractive to those on the outside. So how do we do it? How do we do it? I'm going to give you three things. And, and if you're just being honest, I'll go, you might be like, oh, okay, roll your eyes. I'm telling you, though, if you, if you put these three things into practice, I'm just telling you, you will be on the road to cultivating the village that you need and that I need. Okay, so if you're taking notes, I want you to write these. They're, they're not complicated, but it's going to require something out of you. Okay, so if you're writing these down, first one write down. You've got to make time. Okay, right there, we are, we, all, we are starting at the very first rung of the ladder. You've got to make time, and this one you might feel the most. And actually, real quick, before I get into these, okay, um, I, I got I to say this. Um, for any introverts out there, okay, I get it. Some of the things that I'm going to say in this practical step is going to feel like, oh, gosh, this makes me want to throw up. Okay, I get that. For the extroverts, you're like, okay, hurry up. Come on, tell me what to do. Let's go, let's go. I'm ready, I'm ready. You're already texting your friend. But I'm just telling you, okay, if, if you're more on the introvert side of things, I get it. And, and it might even look different for you, how you apply these. But if you would just be willing to lean in, it might be a little bit awkward. I can't guarantee you that it won't. And you're going to hate me in the middle of trying some of these things, okay? But I'm just telling you, if you did, your life and your faith would be so much richer, okay? I just want to put that caveat out there. So first, make time. You know this. You can't cultivate what doesn't get your time because What gets your time is what gets your energy and your attention. You can't cultivate anything without energy and attention. And if you and I are too busy for friends, are you ready for this? You're too busy. You're too busy. If you're too busy for community, then you and I are too busy. Time and energy, it is your most valuable asset. But it is also your best asset to develop the village that you need around you. Say that takes about 100 hours to move somebody kind of from just being an acquaintance into a place where you start developing a real kind of friendship. That's a lot of time spent. Now that should not scare you from not starting, but we've got to start somewhere because cultivating something great takes time. Anyone with kids ever planted something and your kid was so excited to see it grow? They had no idea how long it was going to take. Did this with Harper. We planted something and I don't know what it was, planted some kind of seed, watered it. And we went and swing on the swing set. Literally five minutes later, daddy, can we go see it? I'm like, Harper, it actually, it's not, she's, I'm like, it's not, it's not growing yet. She's like, well, can we just go check? I was like, fine. So we went and checked. She's like, huh. I was like, yeah, it, it takes time. We watered it some more. We go back to the swing set 10 minutes later. Daddy, can we go check again? I'm like, Harper, babe, I love you. It's gonna take some time. And she goes, you're right. Maybe like five more minutes. <laughs> Cultivating something great takes time and energy, and at times it will feel inconvenient because when something takes your time, it's gonna sometimes feel inconvenient. If you gotta bump something off your calendar, it's gonna feel inconvenient, but you know this, watch. Isolation, the best I can give it is it will be convenient, but you know this. Convenient isn't always best. Just ask your checking account what it thinks of Amazon Prime. (laughs) Convenient isn't always best. No, no, we've got to figure out ways to make time. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, one of the most spiritual things you can do this week and this month, especially as we get back into the grind of school, is figure out how to make time to cultivate the village you were created for. 
Like how can you build something into your regular rhythm where it just gets on your calendar? Like what are some of the things you need to say no to so that you can say yes to other things? What are ways you can begin to create margin? God, it's a whole nother sermon right there. We just don't live with enough margin. How can you begin to create margin for these relationships? Like for, for some of you, and I, and I feel this for sure, especially on weekends that I'm preaching, how can you be more efficient at work so you don't have to bring it home? So you've got more time and you've got more space and suddenly your Saturday really is free. Um, what are small disciplines you can create in your life to create more margin? Maybe one hour of less sleep and you go to bed a little bit earlier, but you're able to get some more stuff done so that you can create more space. How can you cut back on maybe some Netflix or some TV time? Again, that sounds so silly, but how can you create more margin even for the spontaneous moments in life when your neighbor's outside and you wanna go hang out or the kids are playing or your friend calls and asks if you can do something, right? How can you create more margin? We've gotta figure out how to make more time, okay? Second, go first, Oh, it's a big one. Go first. Don't just wait for it to find you. And this is scary. I get it, right? I'm introverts. This is the one that I was talking about specifically. But you do the invite. You send the first text. You make the first call. You book the tea time, right? If I've got that one friend that's always booking the tea time. Um, You make the first move toward. You initiate. What does this look like practically? When you go to your kid's soccer game or go to their football game, don't go up to the corner bleacher and just like avoid everyone at the corner flag on the field. Like go learn the names of the other parents from the team. Imagine that. That's crazy. They're right there. But like, like try this. Hey, my name is so-and-so. My son is so-and-so. It's crazy what conversation can be struck up out of that. But really, Introduce yourself. Like maybe you've got some friends that you mean, y'all, y'all have something, but you, just, you haven't connected in a while, business. Like literally send a text and say, hey, it's been a while since we've hung out. My life is better when we spend, spend some time. Y'all wanna go get dinner this week? Y'all wanna go, you know, top golf this week? Do you guys wanna go? Do you get a play date together this week? Whatever, like find some ways. Be the first one to send the text. Invite your neighbors over for a cookout. That's crazy. Learn the names of your neighbors. Literally, y'all, I got a notes section on my phone. I got a notes app. You should do this. Like write out a note and then write their kids' names because that's, that's a whole new level of intentionality, right? Um, here's, ask for help. Ask for help. If you've got something going on, like I don't know, you got a project going on or you got to move something, literally ask one of your neighbors for help. That's a great way to begin a friendship. I'm so serious. Ask for help. Offer to help. Go first. Initiate. I know it's vulnerable. What's the worst that could happen? It's a little weird, a little awkward. Who cares? Like we have this worst case scenario in our mind. Like, oh man, if I introduce myself and then it's weird. And then if I ask them to hang out and they say no, they'll eject me. They'll tell everyone and I will have friends for the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm serious, man. Go first. And we're gonna jump more into this next week. But vulnerability, that vulnerability to go first, it begets vulnerability. Out of your vulnerability is birth vulnerability and you start creating some soil for the community that we're creative for. And then the last one, I love this one. This is my favorite one. Share a meal. Share a meal. You know what got Jesus into so much hot water in the first century? He had meals with tax collectors and sinners. You notice that? Every time, why are you going over to so-and-so's house for a meal, for dinner? Because here was the first century idiom at play and they understood community. To share a meal 
was to share a life. Because you know this, you know this. There is something sacred that happens around the table. Isn't it fascinating? Even for Jesus himself, when he told us how we were gonna remember his sacrifice, it's the Lord's Supper. There's something so beautiful and communal. There is a connectedness. There's an intentionality. There are conversations that happens around a meal and around the table that don't happen anywhere else. There are conversation starters that are just natural around a meal that aren't going to happen anywhere else. So what would it look like to share a meal? Invite people over. The house doesn't even have to be totally clean. Invite your neighbors over for a cookout. That's simple. Uh, I can't cook. Fine, order pizza. I don't care. Share a meal. Maybe for some of you, it's gathering a group of people or, uh, to go grab a meal around like something that you can all relate to. I, I, I don't know what that looks like for you. You can figure that out. Come on. You know what pockets of people. I'm going to invite all the moms from this, all the dads from this, the couples from this. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going gonna, gonna to send that group text out there. I'm going to see who responds. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send that Facebook message out there. I'm just going to see who responds. I'm just going to go first and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite them to a, a, a meal. We're going to share a meal together. In fact, just at the end of this series, I'm gonna send you guys an email just with some next steps. And I'm even gonna email you guys some conversation starters. I'm gonna make this so easy for you. That can happen around the table. Make time. Go first. Share a meal. Right? Stop waiting and start cultivating. I wanted to put this on a t-shirt. Don't wait. Cultivate. You know? when you do, not only will you be cultivating a village and a community you created for, but you will simultaneously be cultivating a growing faith, the courage to really follow Jesus, healthier marriages, better parenting, more joy, more satisfying relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a greater knowledge of God and even his scriptures. And then watch this, the city that we live in, the neighborhoods we live in, they get better because when we cultivate this kind of community, we shine brighter. And may out of that village and the loves that flows through it and out of it, may it inspire people to see Jesus and may God add to our number. Because we stopped waiting and we started cultivating. We made time. We went first and we did it around the table. Don't wait. Cultivate. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, would you give us the courage to do something what we just heard today? scary, awkward, uncomfortable. But Father, would you put in front of us opportunity? Would you put in front of us people? Would you put in front of us a picture of what could be in our lives and in our world and in our community if we took the step to cultivate and let our light shine? Thank you for the example of Jesus. May it encourage our Christ-centered community that changes us, each other, and the world around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.